Amen. If you got a Bible, if you'd open up to Philippians chapter 4, I'll be there today. Just a couple of announcements to make real quick one that I thought of um, a minute ago. Um, we have two more Sundays to collect items for the Navajo toy drive, and so if, if you are uh, planning on giving to that drive, please do bring those things in. We do need more and more toys. Uh, that is a tremendous ministry that we're able to support in sending those toys to Arizona with our missionaries, and so please consider uh, giving to that. And also, um, we've begun to collect for our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Our goal this year is $20,000. I would love to see us exceed that goal like we did last year. And so begin to pray this season um, how God would lead you to give uh, toward those two things. Philippians chapter 4 today, uh, we're going to be talking about the topic of peace. You know, like I said a minute ago, it's hard to believe that uh, the holidays are already here. In case you didn't realize, four days until Thanksgiving, 36 days until Christmas, and it's going to be here. And for somebody in this room, the fact that I just mentioned that made you a little nervous, made you a little anxious. You know, for all the fun, for all the excitement that the holidays bring, holidays like Christmas, holidays like Thanksgiving, uh, the truth is, is, that, uh, is that there's usually a lot of other emotions that tag along with all that fun and excitement, aren't there? There's the worry over, you know, over where we're going to go for Christmas, working out all the travel schedule. There's the worry over making sure we buy all the gifts and how we don't blow the budget. There's all the fretting over putting up all the decorations and getting all the meals prepared and all those different things. And the truth is, is that for every single person, the holidays can bring a different set of emotions, can it? You know, for some, like children, there's that wonder, there's that excitement uh, that Christmas is coming. Uh, they're excited about what there is. There's still that, that wonder and awe of the season. For others, there's that sense of dread, that sense of exhaustion. You, just the mention of the word Christmas makes you tired. And then for others, there's that sense of loneliness, that sense of, of depression, um, that sense of longing for the days that are gone by. And, and it seems like there's one emotion that uh, amidst all the chaos of the holiday season that, that seems to escape us a lot, and that is simply the emotion, the feeling of peace, the feeling of, of, of rest. And so this morning and next Sunday, I want to look at us, I want us to study Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, where I believe we can get some sound advice on how we can follow a pathway to resting in the peace of God. So Philippians chapter 4, let's read the entire passage. It says here in verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I want to begin this morning by thinking about what it, this peace is about. Let's start at the back end of that. Look back at verse 7. He says there that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so first of all, we see here that we're told that Paul tells us that this peace is of God. That this peace is from God. I believe that it is a peace that comes to God's children when they are fully living in right relationship with Him. Now you might think that here, because it says that it surpasses all understanding, you might think that we can't really understand what it's all about. But what I believe Paul's trying to say here, I believe the point he's trying to make is that God's peace is not rational. God's peace 
does not make sense to a lost world. That we as Christians can experience God's peace, peace even in the midst of difficult times. And the world will look at us and say, I don't get it. I don't understand how you could have peace when you're going through this. I believe that's what God's peace is. Now, now I think it's safe to say, I think it's safe for us to say that the peace of God involves a complete trust in God's will, a complete trust in His way. It's an absolute openness to God, a dependence upon God. It's an understanding that regardless of what I'm going through, regardless of my circumstances, I believe and I trust that God is in complete control. That's His peace. I'm peaceful regardless of what comes my way. And in fact, it goes so far to say, to mean that I'm not peaceful in God because He's answered my prayer in a particular way. I have the peace of God simply because He's a God and He is in control, and I trust what He is bringing my way. Paul says here that it's a peace of the peace of God, it guards our hearts, it guards our minds in. Christ Jesus. And so the, the language here points to, to, to something like a military who is standing guard in a city, who is holding guard over a city, keeping the enemy from attacking and from making it through the gates. And so imagine that, that the peace of God guards our hearts and minds from the attacks of the devil. Yet it guards our hearts and minds as Satan shoots arrows of anxiety and of doubt and of anger and of resentfulness, and of greed, and of pride, and so on and so forth. As Satan hurls those things at us, the peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so with that said, let me just ask this really quick. Do you want that kind of peace? I think you do. I think we all do. But before we can jump back to verse 4 and start to work through this and look at what I believe is a pathway to peace, I think we have to remember this. We have to stop and consider this. You cannot have the peace of God without being at peace with God. Does that make sense? You cannot have the peace of God without being at peace with God. And what I mean by that is this. If you are sitting in this room today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have never received the salvation that he offers through the cross. He has never cleansed you of your sins because you've never surrendered your life to his lordship. If that is you, then you are not at peace with God. You are at war with God, it tells us. There is a separ- the Bible tells us that there is a separation between you and God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says it like this. It says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And so if you are not a born-again Christian today, you cannot lay hold of the promise in this passage. You cannot have the peace of God because you are at war with Him. Sin has separated you from God. It is a wall of separation, a wall that only Jesus' blood on the cross can bring down. Sin has stained your soul, and only the blood of Jesus can wash it clean. A few weeks ago... We were uh, winding down for the night at our house, and uh, we were trying to get the boys to calm down, all those kind of things, and you know how it is if you've had little kids and, uh, or grandkids at your house, they, as soon as you say it's time for bed, they wind up, 
and they start going crazy. Well, you know, usually at that time of night, we try to, we try to get them calmed down. We try to get them settled down. We'll, we'll use, a lot of times we'll do some kind of little family devotional. We'll read something together. We'll pray together. Well, that particular night, Kim had been doing like these little science experiments with the boys. And they are in love with science experiments. They think that is so cool. If you can just, you can label anything a science experiment and they're going to love it. They're going to enjoy it. And so, and so she'd been doing these different things, and I had this idea. I'm like, okay, I saw, I had seen John Proctor do this little illustration one time where he took this red liquid and he poured this bleach in it, and it, it turned clear, and it was like an illustration of what Jesus did on the cross. And so I thought, I'm going to do this. And so I start digging through the pantry, and I start looking for stuff. I find the bleach you know, from the laundry room. I bring it in there. I find some clear glasses. I find some red food coloring. I get it all there. I get the boys seated at the counter in the, in the kitchen, and I start explaining to them how that clear liquid represented what God intended, how God created us perfect, but then how sin had, had, had tainted us. And I, and I put that food coloring in there, and they were just mesmerized. They were watching that food coloring work its way down the water, you know what I'm talking about? And they're just like, they're, they're leaning in, and I'm thinking, I've got them. I'm, they're going to get this. And so, and so then I start to explain to them how that, 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 it, it, that, that sin stains us. But how Jesus and his work on the cross can make us clean. And so I took this bleach and I poured it in the water and nothing happened. And then so I got a spoon and I stirred it up and nothing happened. And Kim is sitting there looking at me. She's about to start dying laughing. She's about to, and she looks, she goes, good try, Dad. You know, and I can hear in my head that Price is Right music. You know what I'm talking about? Womp, 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 <laughs> You know, because I'm thinking I, I failed. And they are looking at me like, Dad, what's going to, nothing, nothing's going on, Dad. You know why I messed up? I had the wrong ingredients. You see, I wasn't supposed to use food coloring. I was supposed to use iodine. And there was something about the iodine that reacts with the bleach that makes the color vanish. You know, the truth is, is that we can try all sorts of ways to remove the stain of sin on our lives. We can use all sorts of ingredients. We can try to be good people. Well, so long as my good outweighs my bad, God will forgive me. So long as I attend church enough, I don't really have to do anything. I just got to sit in a pew. I don't have to give my life to Jesus. I'll just be there. If I do that, everything will work out okay. I'll try some other religions. There's all these other things. And, and you know, all religions lead to the same place, don't they? And we, we can, people can try all these different things, but the truth is, is unless you get the ingredients right, it ain't going to work. And the only ingredient that will cleanse our souls is the blood of Jesus and surrendering our hearts and our lives to him. And until you do that, you will neither be at peace with God nor can you have the peace of God. And so understand that first and foremost. But now let's go back to verse 4. And let's begin to look at what I believe is a pathway. Because, you know, the truth is, is that you can be at peace with God. You can have salvation, but yet not be living in peace, right? We've all been there. We've all go through, gone through times in our lives where we felt like we were, you know, had this feeling of everything's just an upheaval, that, that things are just going crazy, and we feel like we're losing control. And so we can see here what I believe Paul gives us like this pathway there. And this morning, we're just going to look at this first point. So don't be thinking, man, we're going to be here forever. Uh, we're just going to look at verse 4 today. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And so for Paul to command this, think about this. The Philippian Christians, the, the church in Philippi was not in a very good situation. They were ostracized. They were at risk. There, was a, there were threats of persecution. 
But yet Paul is writing to them saying to rejoice. And if you think about this too, where was Paul writing from? Prison. And so it wasn't like he was in an easy situation. He wasn't sitting back at the beach with his feet kicked up. You know, he wasn't sitting there in some giant mansion just enjoying life. No, he was sitting in prison, chained to a Roman soldier. And he was writing to a group of Christians who were going through some hardships. And many times in this book, if you read through this book, this, this topic comes up over and over again. And then two times in this verse, he says, Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, the joy that he's commanding here, the, 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 what he's telling us to do here, is not just to have some positive mental attitude. This is not some kind of your best life now type thing. This is not some kind of, you know, just wish it all to be true, put a smile on your face, put on a happy face kind of thing. He, he's not just saying be, be chipper. This is something deeper. This is to rejoice in the Lord, to put our joy, our happiness, our desire, our contentment in the never-changing, eternally satisfying person of Jesus Christ. Do you realize what that means? That when our joy is in Jesus, not in this earth, we can have joy in the middle of the hardest time. So as Christians, we can rejoice regardless of our circumstances, not just because of our circumstances. Have you ever realized, you've probably thought about this, you've seen this before, that, that when joy and happiness are based on earthly things, eventually those things run dry, don't they? I mean, the simplest example I can think of are Christmas presents. You remember when you were a child, or if you, you know, maybe remember when your kids were little, and you remember that time that whenever you were able to get them or you received that thing. You know what I'm talking about? That one thing that you just absolutely had to have, or that that grandkid or that kid absolutely had to have. Do you remember the look on their face when they opened that? <gasps> you know, they start jumping up and down, they start running around, they go crazy, their eyes are about this, like saucers this big around, and they're so excited because they got that. They're so happy. They're so joyful because it, it's there. Where's that thing now? Probably in the attic. Maybe in a landfill somewhere. Got given the goodwill. Why is that? Because that thing's joy didn't last long. Might have lasted a year. Might have lasted a few months. Might have lasted a week. And then they turn on and go towards something else. Why is that? Because... Joy based on earthly things do not last. And, you know, I'm not just talking about Christmas presents here. You know, sometimes we can be guilty of basing our joy on earthly circumstances, on, on current circumstances, and we don't even realize it. We, we say, man, man, I'm, I'm joy, life is great. I'm so happy because I got a good job. Man, I'm just so happy right now. Things are peaceful. I mean, we got a great home. My family life is great. My kids are doing well in school. You know, all these things are just going well for me, and we can be joyful. And those things are fine and good, and I hope that God blesses us with those things constantly, but it, it doesn't always work out that way. But the truth is, is that when we base our joy, when we base our happiness on those things, eventually there's going to be a bump in the road. Eventually the job's going to go away. Or there's going to be marriage trouble. Or that kid's going to veer in a bad direction. 
or that other relationship, that, that family relationship begins to have problems or there's a diagnosis of cancer or whatever it might be. But when we live our lives rejoicing in the Lord, when our joy is based on Jesus, we look at things differently because, you see, we're thankful for the blessings in that situation, but we're not dependent upon them to be joyful. We're not dependent upon them to trust God's hand. Listen to Romans chapter 5. It's going to be on the screen. Verses 1 through 5, Paul writes it like this. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, salvation, right? We are justified by faith. We can stand before God just as if I had never sinned. We have, the, we have peace with God. That's what I talked about earlier. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, hold on. Wait just a second here. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Paul surely doesn't mean this, does he? I mean, so I'm supposed to rejoice when I lose my job? I'm supposed to rejoice when my kids are, are getting in trouble at school? supposed to rejoice when, when divorce enters the family? What? I mean, I thought those were the times where we were allowed to shake our fist at God, right? We're allowed to be angry with God. No, not, that's not what Paul says. He says, no, we rejoice in suffering, knowing, in the second part of that verse, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so if our joy is in Jesus, then we can rejoice because we see where God is taking us. We see the path. Our concern isn't so much with the circumstance, it's with the end goal. And we know Jesus is leading us to sanctification, to being like Christ. And that joy then becomes the foundation of peace in our lives. We rejoice and then we can rest and be at peace. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine that you uh, took two people and that were, were pretty much alike. You know, they, they had the same personalities, they came from the same walk of life, uh, same work ethic, all that kind of stuff. And let's imagine you took those two people and, uh, and they were hired to work in the same factory. Now, their job at this factory was pretty mundane. Their job was to take part A, attach it to part B, pass it to the next guy. Both of them had the exact same job. They worked in the exact same job conditions, had the exact same number of breaks. All right, so total exact same scenarios, two people doing the same job. Now, imagine that you walked up to one of them and you told them, the boss, the boss told them, okay, look, at the end of a year, I'm going to give you $30,000 for doing this job. But then imagine, what if you went over to the other person if you were the boss and you walked over to them and you said, okay, at the end of a year, I'm going to give you $30 million. Now, neither of them knew what the other one was making. You walked away as a manager. They went to work. They worked for two weeks. You walk back in there and you ask them. You say, hey, you know, what do you think about the job? Now, if you ask the $30,000 person, it's likely that you might hear them say something like this. Whew, I don't know if I can do this much longer. This is mundane. It's just doing the same thing over and over again. Oh, this is tedious. I just, this is driving me crazy. But what if you went to the $30 million person? What do you think they would say? Man, I love my job. <laughs> I whistle while I work. This is great. Now, what's the difference? 
their view of the future. Now, what I'm not saying is that money is the root of happiness, because it is not. But what I am saying is that, is that what we believe about our future determines how we walk through the present. Does that make sense? That what we understand about where we're headed determines what we do right now. Our expectation of the future defines our perspective on the present. And so when we fully trust where God is taking us, we can live in joy even when we're walking through some rough times. We can experience peace even whenever the circumstances, the, the times we are in, are not easy. We can see past the bumps in the road. We can see past the curves in the road because we trust the Lord who made the map and put us on that road. And so have you made the choice to live like that? To have a joy and a peace that is beyond our circumstance and is solely on the Lord? Now let me put it another way. Let's take that same illustration, okay? Let's imagine that you are the $30 million person. Let's say that you are, now $30 million is a lot of money, right? I mean, if you had $30 million, you could live quite comfortably and give like crazy for the rest of your life and never run out of money. And so that's a lot of money. Now, let's imagine that $30 million you one day decided you were going to go up the subway and get you a couple of $5 footlongs. And you're going to go get you some sandwiches. And so you drive up the subway. And when you got in the car, you knew that you had three $10 bills in your wallet. And so you go up the subway, you order your food, you pay for the food, and the food was exactly $10. And so you hand the cashier $10, you get your food, you hop in the car, and you drive home. Now let's imagine that when you got home, you enjoyed your subway, then you opened up your wallet, and you realized that you now only had $10 in your wallet. You knew you started with $30, you paid $10 for the subway, but now you only have $10 left. And so somewhere along the way, you have lost $10. Maybe you gave the cashier too much money, and maybe she didn't see it, or maybe she held on to it knowing that she had it. Maybe you dropped the $10 on the road. Maybe, who knows, maybe your kids came in there and snatched it out of your wallet, and you didn't realize it. Now, what would you do in that situation? Remember, you have $30 million in the bank. What would you do? I mean, would you call the cops and get them to go search the subway for the $10? Would you go argue with the manager saying that the person stole your $10? Would you turn the house upside down to find your $10? Probably not. Why not? Because you got $30 million in the bank. And $10 is really not that big a deal in that situation. Now think about this. God has promised us so much more than $30 million. He's given us the promise of heaven. A relationship with Him here and now. The privilege to pray to Him. The, the gift of the word and the wisdom that we receive from it. A relationship with our church family that we walk side by side with other believers. Do you realize how much all that's worth? We can't count it up. It's, it's, it's beyond our imagination what that's worth. Well, then why, if that's the case, why do we allow things that really amount to $10 things to steal our joy? Why do we even allow $100 things or $1,000 things to cause us to take our eyes off of Jesus and to lose our joy that we have in Him? No, we have joy in Christ. And it's worth so much more than anything we can go through. And so we can have joy even in the hardest of times. We, could, we should choose to have joy 
That's what the command here is. Choose to have joy. Regardless of what we're going through, simply because of who Jesus is. Now, now one more thing I want to add, and then we'll be done, is this. Is that our joy doesn't just help us make it through the day. It's not just about us. It's also about others. Because I believe there's, a, there's an event, evangelistic side to this. There's a missional side to this. You see, because when we rejoice in the Lord, we point other people to Jesus. When we are truly walking with Jesus and we're rejoicing in Him, other people see that and it points them to us. How many of you in here are grandparents? Raise your hand. Okay, good number. I knew it was going to be that way in here. Now, let me ask you this. How quickly could you show me a picture of your grandkids? Somebody's already got one. I mean, someone had one. Out. The moment I said, how many of you could show me a picture? You had one out. I mean, you're thinking, you either are going to whip that phone. We all know how it works. Those of us who, who, who are, don't have grandkids, or even if you are a grandparent, you know how it works. The moment that you even utter the word grandchild around somebody else, they're already reaching for their phone to show you a picture. Or they're pulling out one of those old school accordion picture holders from their wallet, you know, that reaches from their head to the floor, you know, whoop, just pops out. It's like zero to pictures in two seconds flat. You know, it's bang, there they are. We know how it works. Now, why is that the case? Especially like it's really the case if it's like a brand new baby, isn't it? Like as soon as that baby's born, oh my goodness, that little grandbaby. Why is that? Because you love them so dearly and they bring so much joy to your life, right? Even when they act horribly, they still bring joy to your life because they're your grandkids. You know, the truth is that we talk about what we are excited about and what we have joy about. And we don't talk about what we're not excited about, what we don't have joy about. And if you don't believe that, you just go find yourself a UT Vols fan, and you ask them to tell you about the football season and how excited they are over the season, and they won't have anything to talk about. But you find anybody who is excited about anything, and you'll find a conversation. You'll find someone ready to tell you all about it. Well, our joy in Christ ought to lead us to point other people to Jesus. In fact, it ought to naturally do so. You know, I can tell you countless stories of people that I've met in my entire faith walk, and especially in the 15 years or so that I've worked in the church, Families that have gone through hardship, families that have gone through difficulty beyond what I could even imagine, beyond anything I've ever gone through. And I can tell you how their joy and their peace was a witness to others they were around. That was more powerful than any sermon I could ever preach. Because they were living it. Because their, their actions in those times demonstrated to people that their faith was more than just words. It was more than just something that they say they believe. It was something people could see that they believe. And when people can see our joy, see our trust that we have in Jesus, even when times are bad, even when times are uncertain, it makes it clear that our faith is in our real God in heaven, in our real Jesus who is living in our hearts today. This morning as we come to this time of invitation, there's really two invitations as so often there is. And the first is simply this, that if you are here today and you have never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you are not at peace with God. Today, why don't you allow today to be the day that you surrender your life to Jesus? 
that you accept the gift that He has offered you through His death on the cross, that you receive the forgiveness of your sins and begin to walk with Him as your Lord and as your Savior. But maybe today that you are here and you're a believer, you're a Christian, but you're not walking in peace right now. And maybe today it's because of the fact that you're not living in joy. Maybe you've allowed your circumstances to overwhelm your faith. Today, consider what Paul's words say. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, say rejoice. Maybe today you need to confess a lack of joy. Confess a lack of trust. Today, Christian, would you do that? Pray with me. Father God, I do pray for this, these people in this room, for anyone that's here today. As we come to this time of invitation, God, I pray that you would move in our hearts exactly how you need to move. God, I pray that we would surrender our lives completely to your will. For the person here who is lost, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. And Father, for those in this room who are Christians, who maybe are walking through tough times, I pray that you would just give their joy a lift. Give it a boost, God. Help them to remember how good you are. Help them to remember how you are in control. I pray that, God, we could truly walk today rejoicing in you always. Father, move in this time. May your spirit be felt among us, and it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.